This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be construed as personalized investment advice, including the recommendation to engage in a particular investment strategy. Past performances referenced may not be indicative of future results and may have been impacted by events and economic conditions that will not occur or prevail in the future. No investment strategy can guarantee a profit or protect against a loss in periods of declining values. Please remember that different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that the future performance of any specific investment or investment strategy including those undertaken or recommended by visionary wealth advisors, will be profitable or equal any historical performance levels. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today we've got a special uh, special edition. We've got our Chief Investment Officer, John Fisher, with us. John, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Brett. I don't know if you know this or not, but the market's been uh, going a little crazy. Uh, I'm somewhat familiar. Somewhat familiar. A little, a little crazy to say the least. It might good. be an understatement based on what we've That's seen good. over the last 15 months. So we uh, we wanted to to touch base with all of our you know just people that listen to this show, our clients, uh, prospects, anybody. Um, obviously, there's a lot going on right now. A lot going on in the market. Uh, a lot going on with this coronavirus. Uh, so we'll we'll touch base and all that stuff. You know, the disclaimer we'd like to put out there is obviously you and I are not doctors. Um, <laughs> this coronavirus is is a very serious thing. Uh, so we're not here to talk about the virus per se. We're here to talk about what the virus is doing to the markets and just everything else with the markets. Is that, that a fair statement? Yeah, very fair. Okay. Um, so I know you you sent a nice piece out um, on March first um, to our to our clients, but uh, you know since then we've got our first bear market since two thousand eight. Uh, trading has been halted now what twice? Yeah, twice um, in the past week. Twice in the past week. So. Let's just start with that, if you can. What does that mean for people when they when they see trading halted? What does that mean? Yeah, I think well, your first instinct, Brett, is it it scares you because prior to the last week, we haven't seen trading halted since two thousand eight. December first, two thousand eight, was the last time mm. the markets were halted, and they are halted once the S and P declined seven percent in a day. Okay. And um, so the fact that we haven't seen it in twelve years, we always fear what we don't understand and what we don't see, right? What we don't see That's very right. often, and so. Um, that alone is a little bit fearful. The reason why it happens, it's a halt for 15 minutes, is really what it does is allows the buyers and sellers to basically stop and have, have a little bit of composure and get an idea of uh, what they have and what they own and, and where they might move it. Got it. Right? So the example might be if um, you know, they're buying stock, well, if it's a shoe person and someone's trying to sell them a bunch of shoes, they might be buying shoes, but once they, they're not sure how many more they can take on or how many they can move, they're going to stop buying because they're not certain if they can sell them. That's right. Right. And, but if they have a, if they have 15 minutes to time out to gain an assessment of their inventory, they're now going back to the market, their inventory of the, the stocks that they own, how much they might be able to sell to another buyer, how much risk they have, then they have an ability to have a perspective and, and be able to basically take a breath, take a time out and think about what positions do I have? What positions do I want to engage? And so really that halt is actually created to give a breather to actually help liquidity in the market. So it's built in to help improve liquidity in the market. Yeah. So I know our, our advisors, uh, you, I, we've, we've been talking to clients basically nonstop for the last two weeks. And, and I think the, probably the biggest question I've got, and I know you, you, you're getting as well, is why? Like, why the violent sell-off that's happening right now? Yeah, Brett, I think, um, first of all, it, because it feels raw, right? There's a raw feeling to it because um, we didn't see it coming. And the thing I always say about these kind of markets, you know, January was just two months ago. 
go back to the 2020 market predictions from any you know big major sure. house in, um, or an investment firm and see how many were talking about the coronavirus as a risk to the 2020 markets. And I would venture to say very few to none of them were. Uh, it's a good reminder that we don't, when was the last time you got hit by a car that, that you saw from a quarter mile away? Yeah, never. It just doesn't happen, right? So the, the equivalent as an investor is standing by on the curb and watching all these cars go by on a daily basis. All of them have risk of coming onto the curb, but we never know when that might happen, right? And so some of this feels really raw because we didn't see this car coming into our lane. Um, and the other part of it is the speed, Brett. Um, we set new market highs on February 19th. So in less than a month, we've dropped more than 20% in stocks. And so I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is we do normally see a correction of 10% or more in the market around once a year. Yep. We haven't seen a correction in more than 14 months. Not only have we not seen a correction, but over the last 14 months, the S&P was up 35%. Because remember, the S&P was actually up 5% year to date before, you know, uh, at February 19th. That's right. So we climbed 35% or three times the annual average return in just over a year without a pullback. And as I always say, trees That's don't... unheard of. It's just you don't see it very often, right? Trees don't, don't grow to the sky and neither do markets. And so we were, really were priced to perfection and we're due for a pullback. Um, and I think the other thing is the, the markets have gone from complacency to panic right. in a very quick fashion. So the first cases were diagnosed in China in December. And yet we went to new market highs all the way to February 19th, even though things in China got much worse, right? So for two months, the market basically ignored this risk. Yeah. And all of a sudden on February 20th, in a matter of less than a month, we sold off by 20%. And so we went from a place of being probably too comfortable and not aware of the risks that were involved to we don't know for certain, but maybe overly, overly concerned, overly um, panicked on the other side. So we've gone from one side of the, of the curve yeah. to the other. Yeah. So talk to us about the coronavirus and, and why, why, is why is it such a risk to the market when it's a virus? Because a lot of people don't think that, you know, your common cold or your flu or whatever is going to impact the market. But now here we are, this virus is impacting the market. So talk to us about that. Yeah, I think what it really comes down to, Brett, is the behavior of consumers and what makes you, myself, our friends, our family um, and other individuals uh, consume or, or not consume. And so what you see is with this virus um, what it does is it started in China, and there's both a demand issue and a supply issue. From a demand issue, um, what you see is when there's a virus and you're concerned about that, you're concerned about getting infected with it, you start to maybe not travel so much, yeah. right, from a consumer perspective and a business perspective. Well, if you're not traveling as much, and that hurts travel, you're also not spending on discretionary goods. Um, and if there's not as much travel, there's not as much demand for oil. Um, and so, you, st you know, instead of maybe buying that, um, that new car, you start thinking, you know what? I'm not really sure about what's going to go on the market. I'm going to wait a year. Yeah. And that's further consumption that, that's not happening, right? Well, how do companies, how do stocks go up? Well, stocks go up because companies make money. Well, if we're not buying cars, then companies that sell cars are not making money, right? right? If you're staying in your home because you're concerned about going and traveling to another city for a weekend, then you're not spending on hotels. You're not spending on gas. You're not spending on food. Um, and there's all that ripple effect yeah. that where the economy gets hit. Um, and so what you see is from a demand perspective, there's less consumption. And the, G and the, the, the U.S. economy is 70% of the U.S. economy is the consumer. Hmm. So if the consumer starts spending less, companies start making less. And if companies make less, their stocks are less valuable. The other element is the supply side, right? So, so much of our, our economy on a, on a global basis is, um, is intertwined. 
And so if you have a part or you have a, something that you want to buy, but a, a, some of it is made in China, well, in January, that part may not have been, been you know, those factories were shut down, yeah. right? So you may have had a piece that required 15 different pieces, but if one of them came from China and that factory was shut down, you couldn't sell that. So even if a consumer wanted to buy that, that, those, some of that stuff that comes from China, they couldn't buy that. So again, that's one more piece that it, it restricts consumer spending. And the more consumer spending is restricted, the more it affects stocks. So I'd assume that's, that would con- consider or, or continue to have a great risk in the market. Is that a, a fair statement? I think in the short term, it certainly does. Um, but what we've seen, um, you know, I think there's reasons for optimism um, that there ca- this can be short term. First of all, if we look at past pandemics, which is really the only spectrum we really have to judge right. the current one by, they tend to be short-lived. And the reason they've been tend to be short-lived is um, a vaccine is created, or generally speaking, a lot of times when the weather warms up, people start going outside, and the incubator that is our homes and the areas that we stay inside during the winter, mm-hmm. that's, that no longer creates the, 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 the Petri dish, if you will, for this to, to grow, right? right. Um, and so what you see over time, if you look at past uh, epidemics or pandemics, is that they tend to be short-lived because unlike a recession where people lose their jobs and they lose their ability to spend money, right now people still have their jobs and they have the ability to spend. They're just putting their, their spending on pause. So they're choosing not to spend. Mm-hmm. And that's so what, you, what you see in oftentimes in these kind of situations is you see GDP um, or consumption slow down and get impacted for a quarter or two. And then not only is it normalized, but it actually speeds back up. Because those people who weren't buying decided, I'm going to wait on buying that car. Maybe they're not buying in the first quarter or second quarter. But once things start to ease up and things go back to normal, they decide to buy it in the third quarter and fourth quarter on top of their other normal consumption they would do on an everyday right. basis. That makes a lot of sense. So I think that, you know, the question I hear a lot from, um, you know, if I'm at a kid's ball game or I'm, I'm something, right? And, and it's, 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 the question is, what should I do? I'm nervous. I'm scared. I think I should go to, I think I should go to cash. Yeah. Right or wrong? Yeah, I, you know, I, for, for, th- this is a great time to talk to your financial advisor, right? Right. In most cases, for, long, for long-term investors, if you have a 5, 10, 20-year time horizon, it's, it's a decision that likely will, be, will cost you um, in the short term and the long term, right? Um, you know, March 11th was the 11th, uh, I'm sorry, March 9th was the 11th anniversary um, of the bottom of the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. The S&P fell more than 50%. If there was ever a time you felt like getting out. That's then. March 8th, 2009 was the date, right? Um, and, but what happened to those people who had the courage to stay invested? Yeah, they won. Well, in just that year, the rest of 2009, the market was up, I believe, like 60 plus percent from March till, till December. And the markets since 2009 to, through now are up 400%, right? And so I think it's important that for investors that they ask themselves, am I a long-term investor? And if they are, if there's reason to believe that this is going to be short-lived, and I think there, there's evidence out there that suggests it yeah. will be, then you never want to make short-term decisions with your long-term money. Yeah. Well, I think, too, I've been telling people, right, have your goals changed? That's right. Uh, has your need for cash come up? Hey, do you need it for a house? Do you need it for something else? Well, that's different, right? Um, but if, if none of that's changed, it, it's almost put it away and try to forget about it. And, and that's easier said than done, right? And I've been doing this for almost 20 years uh, I've seen this. It's, it's you know what we always talk about, right? It's not our first rodeo, but it's very emotional for people. Right? Yeah. Our clients are scared, uh, so it's our job to to hold their hand and let them know there's a plan. And I think that's what what people need to know 
what is that plan and what does it look like? And Brett, it actually is great advice to not look, not look so much, right? To look away, yeah. right? If you, if you're in, if you're, if you're going to need that money next year, then first of all, you shouldn't be in stocks, but I would very much be concerned about what's going on right now if I'm going to need that money in a year. Yeah. But if you need that money in 10, 20 years, then the time horizon of a two or three month time frame is not that important. And, and what we've known, there's been plenty of research that shows is all of us have an aversion to loss, which means that we feel the, the pain of losses twice as much as we feel the gains of win wins. So I actually wrote a piece about this a while back. I love giving blood. But again, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not a big fan of seeing the needle go in my arm. But I know that it's causing, it's doing goodwill for people and I enjoy doing it. So what do I do? I just don't look at the needle going in, right? And so right now I'm with my market. I know my portfolio is down considerably. Have I looked at it very much? No. And to be honest, the only times I've looked at it is when I've actually gone to, yeah. to make a buy, to make an investment. I think the other point I want to make, Brett, that's important in these kind of times is there's an old adage about markets that, Markets, investing in markets and market cycles are like taking the, the, ele, the escalator up and the elevator down. Hmm. So in general, markets tend to go up over time slowly, but when they drop, they drop fast. And that's certainly what we've seen Absolutely. in the last month. And so by getting out now, you risk the fact that we've gone down a few floors. Who knows if we're at the bottom or not? No one can tell you that. But we've certainly gone down a few floors and maybe we're at the bottom, maybe we're not. But the risk is that you decide to get out now and you've already done, most of the, most of the damage might be done. And certainly the research that's been done on pa past pandemics suggests that this is likely to, to return. The market's re likely to bounce back in a short-term basis. Well, I think it leads me to my next thought and question for you is in kind of this, what's the silver lining in this, right? So it's different. The conversations I'm having with my, take my dad, right? 75 year old, my mom, my dad, and you know, he, my dad was just saying yesterday on the phone, right? I, I'm not the guy that has my income coming in anymore. He doesn't have a paycheck, right? He's been retired for a number of years. And so, so that's a different conversation than, say, the, the 30, the 40s, the 50-year-old that has a longer time horizon, right? So that's there's right. some silver lining here. There that's really right. is. And so it's looking for opportunities. So thoughts about that? Yeah, and to your point about your dad, you would hope that your dad's investment portfolio and the balance of stocks and bonds looks very differently than your clients who are 40 That's and 50, right? right? That's exactly so, right. So that, they had, that your, your dad is insulated from this in a much better way right. um, than some of your investors who are in their 30s and well, 40s. Well, and I think the point of that is, too, is I'm sure you'll talk about this later, but it is when people see, I'm pointing to the television, when people, what they see on the TV, they got to remember that, especially if they're in their six, late 60s, 70s, somewhere in there, it's not like 100% of their money is in the Dow or 100% of their money is in the S&P 500. That's right? right. I mean, they may have 40 or 50% that's not even playing that game. That's right. And that's part of the opportunity that, um, that I was going to talk about as well. Is first of all, it's important to recognize that. The numbers that you see flashing the TV screen, most people, I don't know about you, but my portfolio is not just the S&P. That's right. Right? It's a balance of other stocks that are diversifier and bonds. And we all say stocks are the gas, bonds are the break. Yep. Right? So... So for those clients who are seeing the S&P flash of those losses, it's important to remind ourselves that we don't own just, most of us don't just own the S&P 500. Yeah. But you talked about your dad, you know, um, my dad talked to me, taught me that it's not what happens in life, it's what you make of it, right? And so we think about, yes, you know, we've lost, uh, you know, we're down roughly 20% right now. And that, trust me, it, it feels terrible for you, it feels terrible for me, it feels terrible for our clients and all investors. Um, but what, what, where are the opportunities? What can we do to mitigate that downside? And there's a few things that come to mind. Um, first of all, one thing to, to keep in mind is that um, even though stocks are down, uh, the 10-year Treasury is actually down by 1%. The yield has moved down by 1% just this yeah. year. The 10-year Treasury started at 1.9%, and it's down more than 1% from there. So bond yields are down, which means bond prices are up, 
So again, we talked about stocks being the gas, bonds being the break. Even though your stock portfolio is down, your bond portfolio in most cases, if you have high quality bonds, is actually up right now, which is in, in fact, again, being the airbags for your portfolio yeah. being the brakes. And so, you know, the S&P may be down 20% right now, but your portfolio is likely not down as much. And that's because you own a balanced portfolio that's job is to help reduce the downside risk when stocks fall. Right, which is which is unique because, you know, when the market's up, you know, I think you said 35% or something like that, the question is, well, why do I have that, right? That's right. And so it's like, but we design, I know for Visionary Wealth Advisors and, and you and your team, you, you got to have those breaks, right? And, and right. some of the decisions that are made to, to go away from high yield, to go to corporate bonds, whatever they may be, those decisions are made for this reason right here. That's right, Brett. And I always talk to investors that the most important decision for their portfolios is not whether we choose this fund or that fund. It's that we build a balance of stocks and bonds. I compare investing to riding a roller coaster, right? But you've got to stay on that roller coaster all day long. Yeah. So maybe you can only handle a roller coaster that just goes easy and has soft turns, right? Or maybe you're uh, someone who likes the, the ones that do loop-de-loops. No, I'm and, a mind drain type uh, guy. Yeah, who can stay on it all day long. Right. But the most important thing you do is that you stay on when times like this, yep. whether you're an aggressive portfolio or a more conservative portfolio, the best thing you can do for your portfolio, for your financial goals in the long term, is owning a balance of stocks and bonds that you can stay on when that mine train goes down and does it to the bot goes to the bottom, right? That you're going to stay on and you're not going to say, I can't go on again. You're going to say, no, that's, that was, yep. that was fun. I'm okay. My stomach's a little bit churning, but I'm going to write it again. Right. Yep. And so I think that's the part where these bonds come in that the bonds help reduce that downside volatility that help it make it easier for you to stay invested right now in times like we already discussed in 2009. Right. right? And I think it's important what you're talking about is remind people what buy low feels like, right? We all know that we should buy low, right. but it's important to remember what that feels like. And I kind of compare it to, you know, when the market's going straight up, it's like everyone's at this great party where there's great music and all your best friends are there, yep. right? And it's easy to be invested. It's easy to make good decisions. Well, buying low is like leaving that great party and going to a party, there's no one there, and the music's terrible. Yeah. And you're looking around thinking, why am I here? <laughs> right, right. Right? This it's is not any fun. It's that pit in your stomach where you're like, am I doing the right thing? And that's that feeling that we haven't had in a while, but it's important to realize that that buy signal is not going to be a, hey, you're yeah. doing the right thing. Right. It's like, I'm going in here down a, down a, I'm going in here on my, it feels lonely and on my own, and I'm not sure, I, I, have, I feel uncertainty, right? right? And I think that, that we've, you know, you obviously work with clients on a daily basis, but what I've heard clients say through the calls I've had with calls uh, with clients myself is, you know, there's been some investors who have said, you know, given the, the run up last year of 30% in the markets, I'm going to wait for a better entry point, right? I'm going to wait for a better place yep. to invest. I've got some money in the sidelines. Well, right now you have a 20% discount in stocks. Yep. And so if you're waiting for that better entry point, now is a great time to be, to, to look at the, at Absolutely. the market. And you might say, well, what if stocks go down lower? And I would say that there's a deep, there's a very reasonable chance that could happen. So of the of the, the money that you have to get into the market, why not put a little bit in today, and maybe some next week or next month, right. and some a little bit down the road from that, yeah. right? It's the old dollar cost average idea of not putting all your money in at one time, and that way if it does go further, if it drops further, right. you can buy at lower prices, and if it and if it goes back up, you got some at the lowest price, right? Yep. And so I think that buy low mentality is important. The other thing that I want to mention in terms of opportunities is, um, first of all, we talked about bond yields going lower. When bond yields, when rates go lower, that means if you wanna borrow for a house or a car um, or student loans, all that just got cheaper. Mm -hmm. So that house that you thought maybe you couldn't afford or you weren't certain of, that house just got more affordable because your interest costs just went down. 
that ability to buy that car that you weren't, you know, that you were thinking about buying, yeah. that car either it got more affordable, um, or you can, or you can buy a car that may be in a different range based because your costs overall are down. And so those lower rates not only do they provide uh, push bond prices up that help support our portfolio, they're actually a stimulus for the for the market because it, it both consumers and bar and businesses who need to borrow money, yep. their cost to spend money just got cheaper. And so that, that in the long term will actually be a stimulus for our overall economy. And I talk, we talked about houses, right? I bought a house, um, I locked in a rate in October. And so two weeks ago I said, you know what? I'm gonna focus on things I can control and focus right. on the positive. I'm gonna call my mortgage lender and say, when can I refinance? And is it worth it yet? And I called them and I actually got good news. He said, you know, the bank that you're with, um, they don't wanna lose new customers, so they'll actually reduce your rate without making you refinance. Wow. I'm gonna save $1,000 a year on my mortgage. And by the way, my portfolio has lost a lot more than a thousand a year. The difference is I believe over time, my portfolio will recoup those losses. That thousand dollars isn't coming back. No. I'm gonna save that thousand dollars this year and every year of that mortgage. And so that's the opportunity, whether it's a mortgage, a home equity loan, a car loan, uh, a student loan, or God forbid credit card loan or credit card debt. If you have any of those kind of debt and you look at the, the, the debt side of your financial plan, now's a great time to call, call up your lender and say, can I get a better rate and can you lower my yeah. rates? Yeah, that's great feedback. And there's so many people I know that are, are looking to refinance houses right now. I mean, save the money where you can, right? Like you said, that could offset some losses. That's right, and Brett, don't make the mistake. You might think, I just bought a house last year, right? If you look at Freddie Mac's website uh, and you look at the mortgage rate, the 30-year mortgage rate in February of 2019, in February of this year, uh, one year later, the rates on the 30-year mortgage were down 1%. Wow. So and don't over a 30 year period. That's a long, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money each and every year. And so don't make that mistake <clears throat> of assuming that they haven't dropped. And by the way, what's your cost? Your cost is just a phone call, yep. right? Maybe they haven't dropped, but if they have, it could save you hundreds, hundreds of dollars each month, thousands of dollars a year. Right. Absolutely. Uh, talk to us about our friends over here at the TV. Uh, yeah, I've got my thoughts on that. But. Well, Brett, so we talked about my portfolio falling a fair amount. If I had a, you know, a dime for every time I saw the word plunge on the, yeah. on the TV screen in the last month, my portfolio might be back to even, I'm not sure. Right, right. Um, I think it's always important to understand whenever you're dealing with someone or whenever you're consuming content, to understand um, what their goals are and more importantly, how they get paid, right? It's always important you do business with anyone to understand how they get paid. That's right. Right, and so when you look at, when you look at TV screens or talk, look at the financial media, they get paid based on viewership. Viewership sells ads. Um, and one thing that I've always lo I learned a long time ago, I haven't forgotten is in general, people pursue um, pleasure and pain and avoid pain, right? That's right. Um, and so they also, they respond to greed and fear. And so right now what you're seeing in the financial media happen is the financial media is doing a good job of selling that fear because they know if that you're fearful, you're more likely to stay tuned for a longer time. And so it's something I've talked about, I've written about two weeks ago that was on our website about you know, why when you look on, on the financial TV uh, pages, you'll most likely, when you see big, bold numbers, you're more likely to see the Dow's numbers than the S&P. Yeah. Bigger numbers. Bigger numbers, right? Uh, it's hard to keep track, but you know, Dow's, you know, was at, its peak was in at 27,000, the S&P is, is peak was somewhere around 3,000, right? So when both fall 3%, that's still the same effect, but in terms of absolute numbers, 3% for the Dow is 1,000 points, 3% on the S&P might be 100 points. Right. So a thousand, not as much sizzle, not as much sizzle, a thousand, losing a thousand. If you lost a thousand dollars, you'd feel a lot more pain than you lost if you lost a hundred. That's right. Right. But people aren't making that thought process when they look at the TV. Yeah. So when they'll always show, they'll constantly show the Dow and what their loss is because they want to get you to continue to watch. 
And so I always joke in this kind of story, you know, for anyone who's had a sibling growing up, you know, they always push your buttons, right? Or, you know, yeah. that neighbor down the street that would just push your buttons because they knew how to get you angry. But the minute you kind of knew what their goal was or what their intent was, you, you, you had the ability to stop and say, yeah. well, you know what? I know the game you're playing and I'm not going to let you play right. it. Right. And so that's the part where awareness of mm-hmm. what the view, you know, what the goal of the financial media is, how they get paid. Once you can be aware of the fact that their goal is to get you to watch and they're going to do that by trying to make you feel, like, feel that fear, you have a better ability to look at it and say, you know what, I'm going to have the self-control and the self-discipline not to let you take control of my emotions. Yeah. Turn it off. Turn it off. Or what I do, look, I have to have it on, for based on my job, I have to have it right. on every day. It's on mute 90, yeah, 98% yeah. of the time. Right. I need to know what's going on, but I don't need to hear the talking heads and what they're yeah. constantly feeding. Well, they're, they're, they're always looking in the rearview mirror, right? They're, they're, they're reporting facts that have already happened. And the other thing, Brett, they're looking, they're looking in the rearview mirror. Um, you know, at a baseball, you're watching a baseball game, you see their batting average. You know right away what, what the likelihood of that baseball player getting a hit right. is. When was the last time you saw the batting average of a forecaster or predictor yeah. on, the, on the TV screen, Didn't right? Yeah. And the other thing, so, you know, you don't see how often they're actually right, which is not very often. Um, and when you look at that, it, it's important to have that framing to have a, big, a bigger perspective. The last point on that is, is oftentimes they're making investment recommendations that don't align with my, with my time horizon. Exactly. Right? You get a lot of people on there that are talking about day trading or trading for a week or two weeks or three weeks. And so their recommendations, I shouldn't listen to them anyways because they don't align with my time horizon. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I just I think the, the frustrating part, again, doing this for so long is there's no accountability there. There's no accountability. Right. We have That's accountability, right? right? I, I have to sit face-to-face with the client and talk them through the emotions, right? The, the excitements when it's doing well, the fears when it's not doing well, and, and those are real things, right? I mean, we take, obviously, what we do for a living very, very serious, and it's stressful, and, and it's all that kind of stuff, but, you know, I, I get frustrated with that, those, the, the TV folks, the, the, the newspaper articles, the headlines, right? Because it's just it painting a picture and it's putting this fear in clients and prospects and just the community, right? And the people we know and love, it's putting fear that doesn't need to be there. In the next 30 years, right? We're, we're young enough guys. I'm 42 years old. If I look at the next 30 years, this won't be the last time this happens. That's right. Right? And if I know that and I know that I've built my plan around that, I can feel much better about it. And I don't like it, but I can feel much better about it. That's right. And the other thing is the awareness also that when they're talking, they may not, they, you may not be the, the viewer, right? You may not be the intended audience for that, right? right. How many times, <laughs> we both have kids, right? Um, you know, most people who are 40 years old and don't have kids are probably not gonna watch cartoons. True. Because they don't really, because that's not the audience that they're pe- appealing to, right? You know, when the TV screen turns on for financial news, they're not going to tell you that, oh, for investors who are long-term, you should look away. That's right. Right? The thing I always make a mention, when was the last time the Wall Street Journal said, you know what, we don't have any news to talk about today, we're not going to issue a paper. Yeah. Or, or, or a, TV, uh, a TV financial TV uh, um, a channel said, you know what, there's nothing going on in the market to say we're talking about, we're just right. not going to have a show. Well, managing your debt, saving the right <clears> amount <throat> of money, having the right amount of cash, diversification, right? Have a written financial plan. Know your goals, your dreams, your expectation. Know how your advisor gets paid. Yep. Right? That's boring. That's right. And there's only so much content there, right? right. Yeah. Very boring, but yet... And you'll find, too, with your kids, you won't watch uh, uh, cartoons anymore. You, you just wait. As your kids get older, it turns to YouTube. Okay. They don't even watch TV anymore. It's all YouTube. I'm sure people listening can agree with that. I appreciate so, you sharing education in this direction. That's right. That's right. Um 
So S&P is roughly down, you know, uh, 15, 20% right now. Uh, we talked about most people just don't own the S&P 500, so that's good. But I think it's probably time now to fasten your seatbelt. Would you, would you agree with that? I mean, yeah, what, what are you thinking about that? Absolutely. What's the market go from here? Absolutely. So I think part of the problem, um, or part of the reason why this felt so painful is because for in, in 2019, Normally, we see one correction about of 10% or more. That's how you define a correction. Yeah. And a pullback of 5% or more. Normally, you see one correction a year and three pullbacks. In 2019, we saw two pullbacks and no corrections. Mm. Right? So 2019 was abnormally calm. And in essence, it, it lulled us to sleep. And then all of a sudden, 2020 went from calm to the exact opposite side. Right. Um, historically speaking, if you look at in terms of volatility, in the past 20 years, the market's fallen by 3% on a single day on average three times a year. Um, in 2019, we saw that once. So again, we saw very low volatility, ab right. abnormally low volatility. Which people get used to and they start to think that's the norm, right? We always remember most what happened to us most recently. So you're exactly right, Brett. It's, it, we get used to that normal, we get, that, that becomes the new normal to us. Mm -hmm. um, well, so far this year, we've already had five, six times where we've seen the market have more than 3% moves in a single day. So we've more than made it. We yeah. went, if, if, if three is average, we were what much below average uh, last year and we're well above average this year, right? And so I think when you think about the fact that um, the growth rate of the coronavirus is still growing in the US and we've already had five to six times of the market closing um, down more than 3%, that you've got to prepare yourself for more of this volatility. And especially if you combine the fact that there's more uncertainty with coronavirus and then what we believe will likely be short term of that effect will then roll into presidential elections when the investors saying, well, who's going to win and have, what, what effects is going to have in the market? It's going to create more volatility, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that investors need to plan. And it's, we can't tell where the market's going to go from here. But I think based on the uncertainty around the coronavirus and the uncertainty around the presidential elections, that we can be pretty confident that there's going to be more volatility uh, as we go forward this year. That's right. um, and we have to be prepared for that. And the one other thing I would add, Brett, Brett is that um, since 1950, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the market be down 3% on back-to-back -back days. It's only happened nine other times since 1950. In all nine of those instances, uh, when the market was down on two consecutive days by more than 3%, the market was up for the next 12 months later, the market was up an average of 23%. And the lowest return of those nine times was 6%, and the highest, I believe, was 42%. Wow. Now, again, that doesn't guarantee that's going to happen the exact same way this time, but I think it goes to show you, again, the long-term nature of the market is up. And so if it, a little bit of volatility causes us a little bit of consternation, but in the long term, we can be confident that the market is probably is likely to gain its, its footing in the short term. And there's a decent chance that we'll move higher from here. Yep. A good so, chance that we'll move higher from here. Yeah, so you put out a lot of good pieces. So, you know, for people watching and listening to this, you know, follow us on social media, Visionary Wealth Advisors. Also go to our a news section on our website, visionarywealthadvisors.com. And you'll see a lot of this stuff that John's talking about. So if you want to read it, digest more of this, it's, it's on there. Check it out. One of the things that you said is um, on one of your things I think you read on March 10th was, our economy is suffering from a cold, not a heart attack. Tell me more. Yeah, so I think it's important, um, and that's no pun intended on the symptoms that are happening from the coronavirus. But I think with anything in life, framing is always important, right? You think you have a problem in a certain day because a tree fell over in your backyard, and all of a sudden your kid gets really, really sick. And that tree doesn't matter at all, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important when we think about, um, there's co context matters. And so when you think about past pandemics, past, pan past pandemics, what we've talked about is that 
Um, people's ability to spend this up to this point has not been, it's been put on pause, it's not been taken away. Sure. So we expect once this, the, the peak of this virus happens, that we expect the people to start consuming again and the economy and the markets to start to, to look a little bit more normal, right? Um, and so in that sense, I do believe this is a, a cold versus the other, the other benefits we have of this economy is that um, we have less than 4% unemployment. We have last year wage growth was above three percent. So people not only not only people who want jobs have jobs, but their wages are going up. And when fee, people have jobs and their wages are going going up, they tend to feel good. Right. And when consumers feel good, they tend to spend more money. That's right. And certainly we've seen that because consumer spending is up over three percent over the past year as well. And so what you have is an, is an economic environment or backdrop where the the in the consumer, which is seventy percent of our economy, is employed with rising wages um, and is in the spending. And you also have low interest rates. So if you want to borrow, if you're a, a company or an individual, yep. you can borrow at a very low basis, right? And, and so that creates a backdrop that's very attractive for the market. The other thing is, if you look historically at what has caused recessions, um, real recessions in the economy, it's generally when interest rates and or inflation move higher. And it starts, again, when interest rates and inflation move higher, um, it gets harder for employ, employ, um, uh, employers um, to keep their employees because their costs go up. Yep. So they have to consider laying people off. When interest rates go up, it's, it's more expensive to borrow. Um, and so you see this kind of effect when you get high interest rates and high inflation, is people, it reduces people's consumption. And right now, inflation is still below 2%. Interest rates are at historical lows. And so those, those cases of interest rates and inflation, the type of cases that would be more of a, a heart attack to our economy, versus this is a temporary, more cold-type situation. Yeah. So I think that framing as a long-term investor is really important to help control those emotions when you see what's going on right now in the market. Yeah. Well, John, I really appreciate your time. And I, again, I think it's important for us to, to talk about the stuff going on. And I, I think the biggest thing is right now, what I would stress to people is don't make any knee-jerk reactions, right? Um, don't have that fear and not talk to somebody. If you don't have an advisor, you don't have somebody you can trust with your financial planning, you know, call us, right? right? And this isn't a plug and trying to, but I'm just saying you need to have that that person in your life, right? Um, We're all emotional with our money. Absolutely. Each and every one of us. And that's yep. that the benefit of financial advisors to have someone that has, has an unbiased perspective to help give you really good advice. That's right. So, so again, just don't make those knee-jerk reactions. Uh, reach out. Um, if, if somebody's not already reached out to you, then, then reach out. But, but know that people like us are working hard every single day to, to, to make the best decisions we can possibly make. That's right. And, Brett, the one thing I would ask, I would, I would, I would implore investors to do, is to ask the right questions. Don't ask, how far will the market fall from here? Because yeah. none of us can possibly know. And if anyone tells you that, I would run in the opposite direction because yeah. we just don't know. But the questions that investors should ask, investors that should ask you as their financial advisor or their own financial advisor, is does my financial plan still work? Right? We're, we invest money because we have goals for our life. We have dreams that we want to achieve. So ask the question, do my goals and dreams that I have for my life, do, do they, does, does my plan still work for me to do that? Yep. And the other part of that is, did we plan for this, right? In building that financial plan, did we plan for drawbacks or drawdowns of 20% of times where the markets would do this, right? And, if the question, and the answer is we've planned for this and that your financial plan still works, those are the most important questions that you can ask as opposed to how far in the short term will this market drop? That's right. Well, again, John, thanks so much for being with us. And uh, if you need anything, please reach out. You can find us at visionarywealthadvisors.com. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.
Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.